0: going to hop in to John chapter 16. John 16, 16 says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean By saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, because I am going to the Father. (laughs) They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Now Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me, ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus, then Jesus' Jesus's disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered. Each to your own home, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you all of these things so that you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Lord, you're so good. Lord, we lift this time up to you this morning that we would be able to grasp onto your truth. Lord, no matter where we come from, no matter matter, um, what history we have, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, that this morning your truth would prevail, your word would prevail, and that we would be able to grasp onto you, Lord. So we thank you in advance for what you are doing, what you continue to do, what we know that you will do in the midst of the people of Mill City Church. Lord, and I pray that this time would be honoring to you and ultimately that you would be glorified in all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so here we see a, this week we see a continuation of last week's um, teachings with the disciples. So last week we saw the, uh, Jesus encouraging and comforting the disciples, they, he told them, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm leaving, but it's okay that I'm leaving. It's actually good for you that I'm leaving because as great as Jesus is, right, he's one man. But what he's telling his disciples is, there's somebody that's gonna come after me that you need more than you need me. Now, th- this whole teaching is another opportunity for us." now to recognize that they've not experienced the cross, okay? They're taking Jesus on his word. We have the rest of the story, right? So when Jesus says things like, I'm going to be gone for a little while, and then I'm going to be back for a little while, or when he says, it's better for you that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you, to give you power, they don't know what that means. They have an idea, but they're trusting Jesus at his word. But it's an opportunity for us as we go through this text to recognize that like many, many texts within scripture, there's, some, there's truth that Jesus is embedding in the lives of the disciples because he does know what's about to happen, right? And he knows that the coming storm in their lives is going to be significant, so he's embedding these truths into the lives of the disciples knowing what's about to happen. But now 2,000 years later, we can look at the truths that he's embedding into these disciples and grasp a hold of them yet today. As we transition to today's text, it there was two things that stuck out to me. there's two very hard truths that Jesus is laying before the disciples this morning that we're going to talk about. But in Jesus' way, like he always does, both of those hard truths are going to be followed up with this great encouragement and promise. So he's going to say, hey, this is going to happen, but it's okay because I got it. So Jesus says, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. In 17 and 18, it makes it where it's the scriptures are clear that the disciples once again, even though Jesus has said things like this over and over again, right? They still don't have a full understanding of what's about to happen. Jesus says, I'm going to be gone for a little. You will see me no. in a little while. You will see me no more. And then in a little while, you will see me. And like is normal, he says these things and the disciples look at each other and they're like, okay, what does that mean? Like, okay, Jesus, hey, Jesus, we have a question. What are you talking about, right? So you would expect that Jesus, and he says, well, here, I'll, I'll explain, let me, let me explain this to you. So you would expect, I would expect, I would think that the disciples would expect him to take what he just said, right, In a little while, you will not see me, and then in a little while, you'll see me. You expected him to take that and break it apart and explain to him in some sort of specificity what he's talking about. But we don't see that either. Jesus has puzzled his disciples with this statement, and as an explanation, he says this, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. And I can only imagine if I was one of the disciples. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that was the clarification. <laughs> okay. And I think what he's doing is he's embedding one of those truths, right? So they're getting, he's saying, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And they're hung up on this. And he says, no, before you get hung up on something, get hung up on this. You are about to go through a time of pain and anguish but that anguish will be turned to joy. All throughout his teachings, we see this, and now even, this is the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples, okay? So what we're talking about today, this last text, this is the last thing that Jesus says to them before he goes to the cross. We'll, we'll see next uh, in, in a couple weeks, the next chapter, chapter 17, is Jesus praying, right? But then chapter 18, it's the arrest and the story from there. So this is Jesus' last opportunity, one-on-one with these guys that he's been intimately in relationship with for the last couple of years, right? So he's, he, he knows that this is coming, and he says, these are the things that I want you to hold on to. <clears throat> because in just a manner of just a few short hours, he's going to be plucked from them and their whole life is going to be thrown into chaos, or so they think. So Jesus, knowing that they aren't going to get this, right, like he does in so many other, other areas of, of his teachings, he takes something that we cannot understand, right? So the joy that comes with the resurrection of Jesus is not something, we can pretend to understand it. We can, we can dig into it. We can, we can, our whole lives study these things, right? And experience the things that come from living for Jesus, the, the joy that comes with it. But we won't experience the true joy of the resurrection until we are given new bodies to experience the full joy of it. So Jesus, like he does often, he gives us some sort of example, right, to try to help the disciples understand what he's talking about. And in this case, he decides um, the the example that he uses is childbirth. Um, In verse 21, he compares what's about to happen to him and the disciples with the woman giving birth. He says there's going to be profound anguish, and while there is great pain for a little while in childbirth, the pain passes and is replaced with great joy. Now, I've never had this experience. And admittedly, as I was reading through this text and preparing for it, I said, so Beck, did, did, your, did all of the pain just disappear as soon as CJ was born? And she's like, well, no, there's still a lot of pain. I said, well, but Jesus said. that It's just supposed, it just goes away. No, 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 no. The pain exists, right? But what Jesus is saying is in comparison, and I think most of the ladies in the room that have gone through the experience of childbirth would say, yeah, it was awful. I mean, there's a reason God, like, calls it out in Genesis. This is, this is what's going to happen, right? I mean, this is no joke. But in comparison, the pain that you experience and the joy that comes along with that little one, while the pain doesn't go away, the joy is so much greater than the pain right? And this is what he's, he's trying to package this in such a way. And admittedly, these are a bunch of, <laughs> you know, teen, teen, teenagers and 20-year-old guys in the room, but we all have the understanding of how, how anguishing the childbirth process can be and how joy-filled we are when that little one does actually come into the world, the life that that, 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 that brings. But we're still missing something, right? The joy Of that story still falls short of the joy of the resurrection. Because the joy of the resurrection is irrevocable, it's unstoppable. Nobody can take it from you. It cannot be destroyed and it cannot be lost. Can't be taken from you. Because with Jesus, that little while, that painful and anguishing experience of the cross is is something that we will never understand. But the joy that comes along with his resurrection just surpasses that so much greater that we kind of start to get an idea of what, what he's trying to get at. Jesus says your hearts will rejoice. And in John 20:20, 20, 20, on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. He came to them, the disciples, and showed them his hands and his side. And John says the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus was accurately predicting what was going to happen. They we we know the story. We'll read it in the ne- in the coming weeks. The the them being scattered, them being <sighs> in absolute fear, chaos. You know, we see a couple of the stories of the disciples as Jesus walks through the, um, the road to the cross. But what happens three days later comes true. They find joy in it. And Jesus says, no one will take away that joy. Well, why is that joy irrevocable? There's, we find joy in all sorts of things in this world, right? Why is this one unique? Why is, it, why is this one unstoppable? Why, why can this one not be destroyed? Because Jesus says there's an unparalleled guarantee here. You can't take it. Well, I would submit to you that there's two reasons that this joy is irrevocable. The first is the source of our joy is everlasting because at the resurrection of Jesus, death is killed and Jesus will exist forever. So the source of the joy that comes with the resurrection of Jesus, it will, it will never perish. Things in this life, they fail. Things in this life die. Things in this life perish. We, even, the, even the greatest things... Like the birth of a child, eventually is stolen away by death. Whether it be the death of the child or the death, of the, eventually that joy is, is ended. But Jesus lives forever. And the second component of it is the resurrection means we live forever. Right? For those of us who trust and have the joy in the Lord, not only is the source of our joy forever. We're forever. So not only are we going to exist into eternity, that joy is going to exist with us into eternity, and it's never going to be taken away. Nothing can take away the joy of the Lord. Once you give your heart to the Lord, the joy that comes with the resurrection of Jesus cannot be stripped away from you. Not in this life, and not in the next It is forever, forever. However, the sobering reality of that eternal joy is the fact that people all around us substitute this perfect, eternal, irrevocable, unstoppable joy for something that is going to perish. It's a cheap substitute of the true joy that comes with knowing Jesus. And then it could be a good thing according to the rules or the ideas of this world, but it isn't Jesus and it will pass away. People find joy in all sorts of things. What do they say? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we will die. And that's that. So many walk through this life thinking that once you die, it's done. Nothing lasts forever. I don't last forever. Nothing lasts forever. Why would I try to grasp onto something when I'm not going to exist beyond this life? So let's make it worth it while we're here. What a tragedy it is to replace such an just an unfathomable thing for a cheap substitute that will perish. I came across this quote a number of years ago. I thought it fit. It's, 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 it's really helped me to keep my life in perspective a few, a few times. But in his writing, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says this. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and with sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In my life, I know there's been a number of times that when it really comes down to it, the feigning trust and confidence in our Lord causes, has caused me to grasp a hold of perishable things. As the storms of life so often swirl around us that the reality of eternity, the reality of an eternal joy can get can get, we can get blinded by other things and all of a sudden we find ourselves grasping for, for things that ultimately perish. And the Lord will reveal to you that as you do that, he will remove those things because God is a jealous God and he wants your whole heart. Reach to the joy that comes with the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus says in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Never. Never. A never-ending supply of joy and satisfaction in Jesus from now, the moment that you give your heart to the Lord, into eternity. You're going to have trouble? Absolutely. Is it going to swirl around you? Absolutely. Is it going to be in times worse than what it was when you didn't know the Lord? Maybe. Probably. But the fact remains, there's a Jesus, there's a joy that we can hold on to in those times. And to all of us who take him as our joy, we will see that our hearts can rejoice and no one can take it from us. We'll switch gears to the second hard truth. At the end of, the time, at the end of this text here, in verse 32, Jesus says this, a time is coming, And in fact, has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So Jesus says, Hey, in a little while, I'm going to be gone. And in that moment, you're going to go. Phew. And you can only imagine. The, the, Jesus says right before this, I'm going to speak to you plainly now. They know what he's saying. They know that whatever's happening, they're going to run. And we see that just a few chapters later at the arrest, they run. And he says, You're going to leave me alone. You're going to leave me, but I'm not alone because God's with me. So I, I, I believe that this is another truth that Jesus is embedding into the lives of his disciples because he's saying, you, you're going to fail me. You're going to scatter. But even when I am seemingly all alone, I'm not alone. Hey, guys, over the course of the coming weeks and months, as you guys as the disciples go out into the world, right? They don't know what this is going to look like yet, but they know that something is coming. And they can, they can now sit on this idea that when they go out into whatever it is that comes next in this endeavor to follow Jesus, that they're never alone. Back in November, which was a while ago, but um, not that long ago in the text, Jesus is really clear. Hey, the world hated me. They're going to hate you too. So they know whatever's coming, it's not going to be sunshine and rainbows for the rest of their life. They know that there's a job to be done, and they know that it's not going to always be easy. But he's, he's telling them, if God is here for me, he's going to be here for you Jesus is saying that despite your circumstances and the events that go on around you or whatever, whatever situation you find yourself in, even if you find yourself abandoned and alone, you are not alone because the Father is there with you. We've all experienced those storms. I know I've experienced those storms. Some of them self-inflicted, some of them forced upon us. And Jesus knew that his disciples would find themselves in those storms. Very shortly, their teacher, their mentor, the one that they've been following is going to be ripped away from them, arrested, mocked, tortured, and killed. And his parting words with his disciples are, take heart. Because I have overcome the world. Jesus has spent the last few days, the last few moments, prepping them for life after he leaves. But he's talking to us. He's saying, You have storms. The disciples had storms. But you have storms in your life. You have times in your life. Maybe that's right now that you're fighting. You're fighting something. There's an anchor that we can hold to. Because so often when we find ourselves in these storms of life that I I can only, uh, having been in (laughs) my (laughs) my share of storms and having the opportunity to sit with people that are going through a storm. When you're in it, it feels like it's insurmountable. It's it's all around you, and you have no idea where to go. But standing outside of it, you can see that God's got this. But it fe- it's different, and it doesn't take away from the reality when you're in it. But when you are out of it, you can see that all of the circumstances and all of the things that As we're living in this storm, we're trying to grasp on to all of these things that are swirling around with us. Well, that's all fine and good. If I'm swirling in this storm and I grab on to something, all that means is I'm I'm now holding on, spinning in a circle, right? I mean, no, no, no. We need to find the one thing that is is truly an anchor in our lives that when I hold on to this, all of this, while it's still real, and it can be really painful, and it can be really scary, and it can, there can be consequences, all of these things, it doesn't diminish the fact that you're living in a storm, but it gives you a perspective because it gives you something to hold on to. I, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Take heart, Right? So in those moments, and I know there's people sitting here today that you find yourself in a storm. That storm could look completely different for every single person. Maybe you find, um, maybe there's a moment, maybe there was a moment recently that you got a bad report from your doctor. And you find yourself in a situation that feels like an endless struggle with some physical issue. And the pain, the unknown, the chaos, the, the doubt that goes along with persistent pain. Or the looming thing, whatever that is, in a doctor's report. The thing that, that mountain that you're about to climb. It can be overwhelming. And it can create a storm. And you want to hold on to a loved one. You want to hold on to a piece of paper with a report on it. You want to hold on to some cure human created thing that's just flying around in the storm with you now praise the lord we live in 2022 and there are real medical cures i'm not i'm not diminishing that at all um but the reality is that's not the fix because as we experience those things there's a storm going on in here too And that's where that anchor of Jesus needs to come in because he says, you can have peace in me and you can take heart because I've overcome the world. Maybe it looks different to you. Maybe there's a darkness about you, a loneliness. You don't know where to turn. And as you feel that pressing weight of loneliness or darkness in your life. It's like somebody actually shut out the lights. And you find yourself just grasping in the dark for whatever might be there. It's in that moment that as a believer, we can remember that Jesus overcame all things and he's overcome this circumstance in your life. And while it doesn't take it away, there can be an anchor that as you, as you stand here and you see whatever it is that's going on around you, you know that Jesus loves you. And you know that he's overcome it. And while that doesn't necessarily mean even in this life, let's be clear, there are people that go that believe in Jesus and they pray for healing. And I believe in Jesus and I believe that he's good, but they don't find healing. I don't, I don't understand it either, and I'm not here to pretend like I do. But the anchor in those circumstances is there's something bigger than that, and there's an eternity bigger than the momentary struggles that we exist with now. And I know that doesn't take away this, the struggle and the pain that you're existing in right now, but it does give us a hope for a future. And sometimes it's not even you. Sometimes we find ourselves in the storm of a loved one. Becky and I talk, I shouldn't do that. Um, Becky and I talk uh, uh, all the time that um, we, don't, we don't really get into a lot of arguments. Truly. I mean, you know, we have our share of conversations. Don't let me pretend. But... Um, but so often our arguments come after having met with people that we love that are going through a storm, and we're trying, Jay, on his own power, is trying to come up with a solution for somebody that, you know what, you know. and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a storm, and, and it's not even my storm. Somebody else's storm, and I've just somehow inserted myself <laughs> into a storm, right? But that's real, sitting on the bedside of a loved one that's going through whatever it is that they're going through. We have an opportunity in those moments to say, hey, I know what you're, maybe I do, maybe I don't know what you're going through, but I I just want to remind you of what Jesus said. The last thing that Jesus said to his disciples is take heart because I've overcome the world. So as the, the worship team can come. So just as an encouragement, you know, as as we stand up here um, on a regular basis, and I, we, you know, we say what we feel like the Lord has for us to say, but there's always like one thing, right? There's one thing in the back of my mind that's okay, okay. If you don't hear anything else from me today, hear this, right? You, we even, sometimes we even say that. Okay, if you haven't heard anything else, I got something. Just hear this one thing. Here's the summary statement. Take this home with you, right? So this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus has taught these men and, and, and guided these men for th- three years. And in this last moment, this last opportunity to speak into their lives before the cross, this is what he says. He says, no one can take your joy from you if you know me. No one can take your joy from me when you know me. And guys, you are going to have trouble in your life. But you can take heart and you can have peace in me because I've overcome the world. And how much more true is that for us today? True for the disciples four days from now, right? But true for us today. Mill City Church, no one can take your joy from you. Because that joy is eternally vested in a risen Jesus. And no matter what happens in your life, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, Jesus has overcome them and we do not have to be dismayed. We do not have to seek out cheap substitutes, but we can anchor ourselves to a risen Jesus that loves you and that gave his life for you. That's the last thing he had to say. Take heart. Maybe you're sitting here today, and, uh, and you're like, okay, Jay, all of that sounds great. But I don't know who this Jesus is. Maybe this is not a normal setting for you. Maybe this is your first time in a setting like this. I don't know. Maybe this is your first time in a long time in a setting like this but Jesus came for all of us. God, very God, the Lord of all creation, right? He gave himself up for you, and he came to this earth, and he lived perfectly, and he gave himself up. To death to take your punishment. Because let's face it, whether you've my earliest memories of, of church are our baby. And praise the Lord, all of the circumstances that I found myself in, my priority has been a body of, of believers. And so has Becky's. Our parents taught us, well, when you move, you find a job, you find a church, right? But you might not be there. But there's this God that loves you so much that he gave himself up for you and he's calling you today. And you have the opportunity, not just for what we talked about, as, as critically important as the last words of Jesus are and as profound as eternal joy And eternal peace is, that's not all he has to offer. He took your punishment because you can't do it on your own. None of us can. None of us ever have because he did it. And if you believe in him, not only do you find that eternal joy, now it's for eternity or vice versa. Maybe you can believe for an eternal joy once this world passes away, but he doesn't just promise us eternal joy in the future. He promises you joy now. And he promises you a life now. And so many of us miss out on it because we get distracted with other things. So if you're here today and you've never heard that and you feel a tug on your heart, Don't stiff arm it. Don't run away. That's the Holy Spirit tugging at you. And he's saying, you believe in, I want you to believe in me and I want you to come home because I love you and you're mine. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, that's the question. It's the question we always ask. It's the most important question you will ever answer. Do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? And if not, today is your day. When you hear the Holy Spirit, do not harden your heart. Do not run away. Do not stiff arm him. You're one prayer away from unstoppable joy. If that's you, I'd love, we, we would love to pray with you. Just a sign of an upraised hand. If you have never given your heart to the Lord, and today is that day, just a sign of an upraised hand, and we would love to partner with you in prayer and walk you through those first steps of knowing and trusting and loving Jesus. There's a second group this morning that I want to talk to. Maybe you've given your heart to the Lord. And some time ago, for some period of time, you walked with him. You might even know what that unstoppable joy feels like or is. You've experienced that. You remember having that anchor in the storms of your life. But over the course of a period of time, the world, the storms, the circumstances have pulled you away. And the enemy would like nothing more for you to think that you're beyond that joy. But it's just that, a lie from the enemy. Because reality is that joy that you experienced when you came to know him is still offered moment by moment. The forgiveness of sin and the promise of new life doesn't end. And it can't be stripped from you. So if you feel like it's been stripped away from you, it hasn't. Jesus is right there. And he wants nothing more for you to acknowledge him, to put your trust back in him, and to walk with him. If that's you, if, it's, if you found yourself away from the Lord, if you found yourself feeling far from him today, we would love to pray with you. Just a sign of an upraised hand that you need to recommit. Maybe it's a recommitment. Maybe it's a refocusing. Maybe it's a I need to turn back to you. Whatever words are yours, I need Jesus in my life, and I know it. Just a sign of an upraised hand, we would love to pray with you. Praise the Lord. Lord, you're so good to us. Your love and your joy surpasses all understanding we worship you this morning lord for these couple i pray that you would do something remarkable in their lives lord i pray that you would re-infuse them with the power and the joy that comes with knowing and trusting you and i pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to be able to walk that out We thank you in advance for all of the amazing things that you continue to do in the midst of the people here at Mill City Church. I pray that you would give each one of us the courage to continue to live out the life that you've given us in our sphere of influence, Lord. Help us to see what you're doing. Lord, give us the eyes to see what you're doing and that we could partner with you in what you're doing in your kingdom, Lord here at Mill City Church, in our, you know, in, our, in our workplace, in our family, wherever that looks like, Lord, wherever you have us, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see the things that you're doing and give us the boldness to partner with you in it. So again, we thank you in advance for all the amazing things that you are and that you continue to do. And we lift all these things up in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.